Morning, City Light. Hey, it's so good to be here with you today. My name is Jason. I get the joy of serving as one of the pastors here. It's just such a joy to be able to worship this morning, uplift the name of Jesus with each of you. I uh, hope and pray that the Spirit is at work in your hearts today. And so as Dr. Bill mentioned, today we are going to open up the book of James, and we're going to talk about patience. So I know some of you guys are kind of excited. You're like, I love patience. I just, I just love when Jesus has me in positions where I get to be patient. Like, I was thinking, you know what? It might actually be easier to talk about tithing than patience. And so there's a part of us like, man, do we have to? Like, are you sure? Like, is the patience really part of what Jesus wants for us? Um, but it is. And the beautiful thing about patience is it reveals to you and me, and this is part that we don't like, but this is the beauty of it, what we lack. It, patience puts us in a season and a position that reveals to us our inadequacies, our inabilities, or our need for a Savior. And so we are in p- position of put in places of patience or in a season or time of patience because we simply don't have that which we want. And so if we have a relationship with Jesus, we get to acknowledge like, hey, there's this want and this need that can only be fulfilled by Jesus Christ himself. And so just to put us on the same page, I want to define patience for us. If you were to open up your phone or whatnot and Google patience, this is the first definition that comes up. So I chose it simply because of that. Here's what it says. It's the capacity to accept or tolerate, to, de- to delay trouble or suffering. And here's the hard part, without getting angry or upset. Okay? Like, so that, that's the definition of patience. But like I said, I would add to that Patience is also a season of want and need, inability. And for us men, that's probably why we really dislike being patient. It's because nobody wants to be told what you can or can't do or what you lack and don't have. We don't want to be reminded of our inefficiencies. At least I don't, if you're immature like me. And so James writes to us about patience. Now here's the other caveat to that, the other difficulty. As I was trying to unpack this in my own mind, I tend to think in pictures or experiences. And the thing that came to mind was each of us, we have a middle ground that we want to live life in. Think of it like this. How many of you guys have at your house a comfortable temperature? Anybody? What's the comfortable temperature? Yell out. 66. 72, 72. 70, 72, 75. Yeah. 68, yeah. Yeah, when uh, Stephanie and I first got married, she had said it like 76 or something. And I was, you know, I was, I was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. We get the bill, and it's like $350, $400 or something. And she walks over, and it, I'm like, why is it so cold? And she goes, I turned it down to 60. I was like, no, that's too cold. 65 is our normal at night, 68. And so there's this, this range of comfort for each of us that's uniquely different. Or how, how about this? When you guys have a headache, how many of you tend to do something about that headache? Maybe take ibuprofen, or do you just, do you just live with it? Live with it for a bit, suffer, and then give in and take ibuprofen, water. Yeah, it could be a hydration issue, right? Coffee. Coffee. Right, so there's solutions. And so or how about when you guys are hungry? Do you live with it or do you get something to eat? You eat, right? Amen. And hopefully you eat something good. And when you're hungry, it always tastes so much better. Never go shopping when you're hungry. I went shopping one time after fasting, and it was like I spent like $300. Like it was totally unnecessary. 
My point is, we have a, kind of um, a middle ground, or there's a place where we live life in, or we want to live life in. To, to say it differently, we were created for comfort. And so if it's 50 degrees, 40 degrees, 30 degrees, we can't live life. Or if it's 100 degrees, you, you can't live life there. And so if we go without food, then we can't live life. And so God has created us to live in perfection. So there's this middle ground that we want life in. And so James is acknowledging there's a human tension between patience and results, an immediate tug. And what we're trying to get back to is what God has created us for, which is comfort. Comfort isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just where you derive your comfort from. Where do you get your joy from? Where do you get your delight from? Where are your satisfactions fulfilled? Because you were created for comfort, and that's why we can't live outside of the way God created us. It's his grace pointing us back to him. And so patience reveals to us that we're living outside of the way God has created us. Does that make sense? So, so comfort isn't a bad thing. As long as you understand what we're created for and where we should derive our comfort. So patience is us just trying to get back to what God has created us for. Does that make sense or is that confusing? Hopefully that makes sense because if that doesn't, then you're going to be lost the rest of the sermon. You're going to think we should have talked about tithing or something else. I don't know. But hopefully that makes sense. I want to open up to James chapter 5. I want to read verses 7. So Peter gives us three images to unpack and understand how we're to be patient. He says this, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. Now, this is a scary part for James because James assumes that if you're a Christian, it's not if you will suffer, but when you suffer. Do you hear me, church? Because James is saying at some point in your walk with Jesus, things are going to happen that point you back to him. And remember, James is writing to a persecuted church who has lost their house and their homes. They've been dispersed. And so he is trying to anchor their faith in Jesus or encourage them in their walk. When a lot of them are feeling this real tension, they're laboring with joy. They're not sure about the promises. And he is saying, stay steadfast. And so he's circling back to how he started his letter in the first chapter, in verse 2, this is what James writes. Count it all joy, my brothers. Not that you always have joy, but you have hope in the midst of whatever you're going through, that there is a joy that pulls you out of your present circumstances. And so your circumstances reveal to you your need for a Savior, thus give you reason for joy when you meet trials of various kinds. You see his expectation and anticipation of your future walk. For you know that the testing of your faith, look at this, produces steadfastness. It's like, oh, man. It's like going to the gym. I just want to be fit. I don't want to exercise. Do I have to go through trials? Can't I just be steadfast without trials? Like, why does it have to be so difficult? Because we live in sin and brokenness. That's my laziness and my desire to be comfortable without putting in the work. And so I need to repent of that sin, I guess. I don't know. Maybe some of you guys can speak into that. You can help me. But James is saying to each of us, that we will encounter trials. Verse four, and let steadfastness, look at this church, have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. 
when that happens, we will no longer have a need to be patient. When we lack nothing, there will be no longing in our heart. And so James unpacks this a little bit further down in the first chapter in verse 12. He says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. That's his expectation and anticipation of the Christian walk. For when he has stood the test, look at this promise, church, hold on to this, because when you're struggling, you need to know this, you will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Do you see that? That's the beauty and the promise that we've been given. So James is saying that there is a hope, no matter our present circumstances, if we're in a situation where we begin to feel like, just maybe even a little bit, that Jesus isn't powerful enough to save, we can come back to this and say, okay, I want to stay steadfast. Jesus, I even need you to help me be steadfast. I need a Savior to help me through this journey. Because in verse 7, if you look at that, he gives us the analogy of a farmer, I don't like that analogy. One, because I'm not that good at gardening. I've tried it now for five years, and I just, like, I get how, how, I get the Mr. Gregor analogy. Like, getting a hoe, going out and trying to kill rabbits, I have legit tried that. And one time, even set my dog in the, hoping, like, the dog would catch him and attack him. Like, I, I get it. Like, I understand how that can make you go insane. So I'm like, man, is there a better analogy rather than growing crop? Because if we look at that, there's literally almost everything outside of your control. Like, you don't write the DNA in the seed. You have no control over how that grows. You don't control the rain. You don't control the sunshine. You don't control the, the insects that come and destroy it. Like, I have this love-hate relationship with trying to grow pumpkins. I love them. Like, they come up, they grow beautiful, they get far and wide, and they're green, and you get these big pumpkins. You're like, I can't wait. This is going to be great. Like, we're not going to go spend $10 on a pumpkin and waste our money. And the next day, you come out, and they're all dead. Five years in a row. And I've tried everything. Dish soap, seven, you name it, I have tried it. And somehow, these things kill my pumpkin plants every year. Some of you guys are like, oh, it's really easy. Just do this, do that. I'm pretty sure I've already tried it, and I've just decided this year that I'm not even going to try it. Like, I'm just giving up. Like, it's that crazy of a thing. Like, I'm just, I'm going to go McGregor if I do it this year, and the pumpkins are lost again. And so I had one year of success, and now it's been just futile experience after that. There's so much in farming that's outside of our control. So much dependent upon our God to make it happen. And if you think about farming, you exhaust almost all of your revenue so that if it doesn't come in at the end of the year, you're bankrupt. And so James is saying, like, exhaust everything you have with complete and total dependence. So if God doesn't show up, the end of the year is catastrophe. If the rains come and swipe it all away, if you don't have a harvest, like, you're bankrupt. You give up the land. Like, you can't pay. You don't have anything to eat of. And he's saying that this is an analogy for the Christian life. Complete and total dependence upon your Savior to be patient. Do do you hear that, church? And so the beauty of it is, is we get to sit in a situation that says, if Jesus doesn't show up, then I'm lost. But then we get to sit in a situation that says, when Jesus shows up, I get to experience the grace of God 
in an incredible way. And so if the gospel is the promise to grant and give life, then I should expect that after it's planted in the right season, it will bear fruit. Are, are you tracking with me? Because here's the tension. We live in an instant gratification society. Like, just, like we, we want seeds you plant today, and by the end, you're like, oh, man, this apple tastes great. Wouldn't that be easy, right? Like, it's so fast. Like, the apple's growing out of the apple, and you're like, man, I just can't control. Like, that, that's what we want. And yet, somehow, that's not the case in the manner in which God moves. It's more of a steadfast, of a promise, of a faithfulness. And so we get to see God reveal himself in his timing and trust that that's going to happen. And so that's why James continues to encourage us as we read in verse 8. He says, you also be patient. Establish your hearts. So the imagery there is like strengthen, do the work, work out, build the muscle. And he's saying in your heart and your mind, because for a Jewish person, those two were one. Establish your strength and anchor your heart. Look at this. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. And so he's saying, I know your present circumstances. Here's how you can get out of it. Trust that Jesus is coming back. You might be depressed, and today you're wondering, man, is this good news, really good news? Remind yourself that Jesus is coming back. When you truly experience suffering and trials, the lie is that those suffering and trials are eternal. The reality is it's a season. The truth is that Jesus is coming back. And so there is a reason to have joy in our present circumstances, and that is a reminder that the Lord is at hand. And so I hope you're taking notes, because when we struggle with being patient, we need to be reminded that Jesus is at hand. Here's what happens. If you're like me, when things aren't going right, verse 9, you begin to grumble. Not one amen. Hey, no, you guys are good. Like when things go tough, you guys strengthen up, you girt like me, no, I complain. That's right, I grumble. And sometimes I grumble against my wife, right? And he says, don't grumble against one another. I'm like, man, he, he might, like, prophetically, he was watching our family's experience unfold when things get tough. He says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And so James, if you remember, says the tongue is like a fire that can set a forest ablaze. And if we can tame the tongue, we can tame the sin in our life. And so he's saying the natural tendency when you want isn't to express satisfaction in your Savior, but to express dissatisfaction with your neighbor. And he's saying, don't do that. Because the one grace that Jesus has given us when all else is lost is the body of Jesus Christ. And so if we grumble against one another, what we've just done is allow a seed of division to be sown in the church. We've allowed Satan to come into our presence rather than say, God, thank you that you have put me in a situation where I am dependent upon you to move. By your grace, you've allowed this to happen, and you've given me a body to sustain me when I want to quit. Give me a coach, if you will. Do you know what? If I'm honest, like a, one of my biggest fears as a pastor is that we would experience difficult times. Even though I, I know they're necessary for your sanctification. Because when a church as a whole experiences difficult times, what happens is people begin to grumble. And as they begin to grumble, there's division, and you almost always lose people. And it's, it's just it's a terrible experience. And so I understand what James is saying. Like, when things get tough, you gotta, 
you got to recognize. Like, you're hurting, and so naturally, you're going to hurt other people, but don't, don't do that. And so, do you understand just how practical James is? Like, he gets human psychology. It's incredible that he's speaking into our present circumstance. Like, he understands us somehow, some way. It's almost as if, like, God is helping him write a letter that would speak into our present experience. And so, he tells us not to grumble because we would begin to judge ourselves. We looked at that two weeks ago, the impact on our life. But then he gives us another picture of patience. As an example, this is verse 10. Of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. I'm, I'm really not liking the track that James is on here. Because if you're, if you're a parent and your, your daughter comes to you and says, I'm going to marry a prophet, you should tell her no. And the reason you should tell her no is because prophets get murdered. They get persecuted and they don't get paid that much. So, like, that's not, fine. Let, go find a businessman or a lawyer even. Like, let, like, a prophet, you definitely say no to. And so he's saying, consider the prophets. But he's saying this to each of you. Remember, he's writing to the church. He's not speaking to pastors. He's saying, think of yourself like a prophet. What did prophets do? They declared the word of God. They declared it with anticipation of a future hope and a future fulfillment. And sometimes they declared it that the next generation and the generation after that didn't even see the fulfillment of it. I myself have been blessed to watch faithful saints pray, hear their prayers, watch as they've gone on to be with Jesus, and then see their prayers answered after their death. And I hope by the grace of God that I can be so patient like a prophet to have a life and the way I live sustain me past the generations that I ever see. And so if my prayers are all answered within my life, I feel like I will have failed the purpose Jesus has for me. We have the opportunity to live life in a way that's so impactful that generations past us can experience how steadfast we were. If we trust that Jesus is the salvation unto men, that the means in which we have our wants and needs fulfilled is through Jesus, not in a selfish way, but we recognize we have sinned. We've transgressed this law. We have sin and brokenness. And the only way we can now have forgiveness is by accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And so we proclaim that good news like a prophet. And like James, who was murdered... We, are, we believe that truth to be so, like we, we are anchored in it so much that we're not going to allow our present circumstances to define and shape and mold us. Instead, we're going to testify to a world that our life, our heart, and our mind is being shaped by the Holy Spirit's grace in our life. The disciples, all of them, were murdered for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. This isn't one of those situations where you have like someone who's never parented giving you parenting advice. Like when James writes about suffering and trials, like this is a real thing for him. He went on to live out the very words that he was preaching, that he was teaching. So in some ways, like this is God's grace preparing him to die a martyr's death for Jesus. All of the disciples, people have died for you to hear this message. Prophets have heralded it despite their circumstances. That's how good of a news you and I have. And James is saying, hold on to that. It is good. Be steadfast in that. 
Don't let it go. Don't let your present circumstances take that out of your heart and mind. There is good to be had in Jesus. Don't give up. Stay the course. And it doesn't get better. (laughs) There's one more analogy. And I really don't like where James is going. Because he says, be like Job. You guys remember Job? You think it can get bad? It gets, I mean, it gets really bad. I'm like, come on, like, be patient like Job. Like, James, let's, let's just read what he says. He says, behold, we consider those who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. Some of you guys may or may not be familiar with Job. If you remember, Job was a man like Jesus who suffered unjustly. He was a righteous man who suffered to glorify God. He lost his family, all of his business ventures, and in Jewish teachings, his experience lasted for years. So he's suffering, not just for like a few days, not for a year, but for multiple years, His friends came to him, gave him bad advice. He sat in this grief and pain, watched his kids die, everything he had worked for be swept away, and all he's left with is his relationship with God. And so he demonstrates to you and me the sufficiency or the totality of what we need in this world, and that is simply we just need Jesus. And as long as we have that, we have everything that we need. And so Job does something that we consider remarkable, is he doesn't curse the name of God. He doesn't say, God, like, how could you have killed my family? He doesn't blame me. He doesn't say, how could you allow the crop to be swept away? How could you allow all my cattle to be stolen? God, how could you? Why would you? I can't believe you. Instead, he remains faithful and is counted worthy. And then everything is restored to him. And it's this beautiful picture where we might not have everything restored here, but we will have everything restored at the coming of the Lord when we lack nothing. And so James is saying, stay steadfast like Job. It it might get that bad for you. I pray by the grace of God it doesn't. And for a lot of us, if you're not prophets, it might not. And so that's God's grace. And so even if it's not that bad for someone else, like Job could have pointed the finger could have said, like, man, it's really bad on my side of the, but it's not so bad. Like, how come I have it real bad, but things are going well over there? God, let's let him work in our life the way he wants to work and be steadfast in it. And so he says, be faithful like a farmer and trust that at some point there's a harvest. In the midst of that, be faithful and patient like a prophet who continues to declare the word despite the investment it might take. And be patient like Job because you probably will suffer as you invest and pour your life in and don't see your return. You're going to want to give up. There's this thing where he's saying, be patient. Like, understand, I get you want results today, but the reality is the results may not be yours. You might plant a field and you're not the one who harvested. It might be your kids or your grandkids or your neighbors. Who knows? But be faithful to what God has called you. Be steadfast in it. Trust the story. That's the beauty of what we've been called to. Look at what he says. Here's what it reveals to us. You have seen the purpose of the Lord. When we allow God to work in our life, when we allow it to stand in need, we begin to see God's purpose for us revealed. And here's the beauty of it. We get to see how the Lord is compassionate 
and merciful. Amen. How else would you know? If you didn't need his compassion, if you didn't long for his mercy, if you didn't cry out for his provision, how could you know? How could you know if he's a loving God if you never put yourself in a place to need his love? And so when we are in a position to be patient, we have these wants and these needs that are exposed, and we just allow ourselves to say, God, would you be compassionate? Would you be merciful? Would you be the God who you said you are? And then we trust that his promises are true. And sometimes that takes a little bit of work. It takes the body of Christ to sustain us. It takes us laboring in his word. It takes us trusting faithfully in him, acknowledging that maybe we want to give up. Maybe we should give up. And yet somehow, someway, by the grace of God, we remain steadfast. Let us be people who are known by our steadfastness despite our present circumstances. Let that be our witness that we so trust in the narrative and the story that God's writing in our life that we don't have to see how tomorrow plays out or the next day or the day after. We're going to allow the Spirit to work in our life and we're simply going to be patient today and steadfast. Amen. Like a a farmer and a prophet and like Job. And so as we unpack this and we say, well, what's the... What what are the applications for us from this text? I was thinking, I reminded of... um, I was 24, 25, and I was doing trade work. I went to this beautiful home. Air conditioner wasn't working. It was like a, you know, probably, without exaggeration, a home that's over a million dollars. I'm like one of the nicest neighborhoods in Omaha. Like I, I didn't even, I, didn't, I was still renting at that point. I didn't even own a home. And so I go to this guy's house, and I'm working on this air conditioner, and he's out there with me as I'm working on it. And he's like, you know, I really, he, this is what he says to me, I really admire what you're doing. I'm thinking like, yeah, right. I think the guy was like a lawyer or something like that. He's well known. You know, so I'm looking up to him. I'm like, man, you got like four cars in the garage. It's a beautiful home. And you actually own an air conditioner and I don't, even though I'm fixing them. You know, it's this weird tension. He goes, I really admire what you do. And he was being sincere. He goes, you get instant satisfaction out of your work. He goes, for me, because I have to set things down and leave it there for a few months or a few years, and I never get that satisfaction. And I didn't quite understand what he was saying at the time, but now as a pastor, like, I get it. We want immediate results. And that was the beauty of having instant satisfaction, like you fix something, 10 minutes later, you're on your way. You fix another thing, you're on your way. And so when we proclaim the gospel, when we live for Jesus, there's often not that instant satisfaction that we want. And so James is saying to live in that tension. Understand what you've been called to is like a planter. Set your heart right at the beginning and know that the instant satisfaction probably won't happen today. But the satisfaction will happen, church. He assures us. And so you can receive today as an encouragement. If you're sitting here today and you're feeling stretched, you're like, man, I, I want to give up. Like, I, I, I want to just be done with it. I want, like, receive today. Like, you're the normal. James is saying, like, you're normal. If you're struggling with patience, like you're normal, there's a reason he wrote that. And so receive today as an encouragement, put into your, in your mind how you can be patient and walk away out of here going, man, this is good news. Like there's other people broken like me, other people figuring it out like me. Like I, I'm not the only one. But here's the other application. If you've never struggled with patience, if it's always been easy for you, I don't, I, don't, I don't know how to say this other than this. I don't know if you're faithfully following Jesus. 
I love you when I say this. Don't hear that as condemnation. But if we follow Jesus, it, it does get hard. There's good in that, though. Like, there's health in that. And so if you've got it together, you might not be finding your satisfaction in Jesus. If there's joy that you always have, there might be something that's under there, maybe some security, maybe some hurt that needs to come out. But if you have never struggled with patience, man, I want to pray with you. I want to encourage you. I want to point you to Jesus because the expectation is that we live in a sinful, broken world and we're trying to do good. And when you do good, it costs you something. But we're willing to pay the price for the betterment of our neighbor because we love them. And so if you struggle with patience, amen. If you don't struggle with patience, we need to talk. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? Some of you guys are like, oh, no, I'm really patient. I'm talking to you right now, right? <laughs> and so some ways I'm kind of happy. Like I'm one of the least impatient people you know, right? Because I, I got a lot. Like there's a lot of brokenness, a lot messed up up here. In some ways, like you guys should be listening to somebody who's far smarter than me, got it more together than me, because I, I am not patient at all. But my hope and grace for each of you guys is that you would know that Jesus loves you. He's compassionate and merciful, but until you put yourself in a position to experience that, you won't know it. So as much as I love you and I care for you, my hope for you is that you would know how much Jesus loves you and cares for you. Because that's far better than anything you could get in this world. You just have to be steadfast in it. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for the story you're writing in our life. At times, Lord, if we're honest, we want to give up. At times, um, we don't want to be steadfast. At times, we want to take uh, the fork in the road that leads to an easier path. At times, um, easier just sounds so incredibly better. Easier gives us a comfort right here, right now. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would strengthen us for the journey, uh, equip us for the task that is ahead, that you would speak to our hearts and minds in a way where we could say you truly are compassionate and merciful. You were steadfast. You pursued us. You didn't give up on us. But how many times did you cry out and we didn't answer? How many times did you attempt and we didn't even know? How many times did you move towards us and we moved away? And so, Lord, we just want to praise you for being a God who is steadfast, who is merciful, who is compassionate. And I ask that right now in this place and in this space, your grace is being poured out. Your spirit is speaking to people in a way that reveals your mercy and your compassion that they could say that they are sons and daughters of the King of Kings who is coming again, who gives us a hope and joy to trust in. Lord, don't let this just be an experience where we come, we check a box off and say we went to church today. Instead, let this be a place where we interact with you, with our Savior, with our King, with our God for all of eternity. We pray and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.